A good place to start uh, really is the effect that Basel III uh, will it's going to have on gold priced in every single currency. Now, this is the elephant in the room. I mean, let's, let's start by picking up on that thread. Welcome to Live from the Vault. There's a lot to talk about during these historic times. We've got the one and only Andrew McGuire. Perfect timing. Look at what's going on in the markets. Who do we have here? We're going to get a report on Friday. There are so many reasons why you should be accumulating. This is a huge deal. And as a Fed insider, you were taught that is not a subject for you to broach. Yeah, it is. But I'd be happy to give you some data, you know, that's the direction you want to go. It's always educational for me just to listen to you. They buy at the top and they sell at the bottom. I say you only have to get rich once and therefore you better protect your wealth. And you better understand history. What we have is the makings of a currency Armageddon. Wow. Wow. That's crazy stuff, Andy. And it certainly raises questions of, of how deep in the in the vault, you know, have they gone. So I'll, I'll finish with this, Andy. Toilet paper is more valuable than this. <laughs> Here we go again. Yeah, no, you're right, Andy. All right, welcome to Live from the Vault. And what we're going to do is a little bit different uh, today on this episode for many, many reasons. But Andy, what did you think about that that video clip there? Well, I mean, I'm still chuckling because there's some faces there. I mean, these are our friends. These are these are our friends, but they're industry experts too. So it's nice to blend all of that together. Well done, guys, for putting that little clip together. Absolutely, and congratulations to the whole Live from the Vault team. This is our 100th episode. Now, many people were, were thinking, and rightfully so, that we're going to have a blockbuster guest on uh, for this episode, but we've got breaking news that is important. And like we say, Live from the Vault, you get information you just can't get anywhere else. This is going to be an episode uh, just for that. Now, normally, Andy, uh, for consistency, we usually pick up uh, and 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 step it back uh, a couple of weeks from the last time we had a, a chat, and I mean, I think everything that's coming together. I, I definitely want to talk about the Bank of International Settlements and Basel III, which you brought up. You were one of the first, way back ahead of everyone else, and and maybe we can start our our hundredth uh, show and episode right with 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 that. Yeah, and this is brilliant, and and yes. You know, I mean, it was it was so important that we've even had to defer our big guest for the hundredth episode, uh, and and I mean, basically they agreed. Come on, no guys, we need to uh, we need to circle back and and get, really break some some news. Well, the news is broken, but I just don't think people have taken in the the. This is a game changer, guys. And as I say, yes, as Shane said, it's our 100th episode. I can't believe it. So it seems like just a few. But anyway, it's all about, this is all about, I think, the fun of, of education. It's not, we're never trying to tout anything here. What we're trying to do is just bring information to you guys. And um, so you can make your own decisions. And this is what this is about. And actually, stackers, listen because this is a hugely important moment. Maybe you're thinking of waiting. Just list this through and then make a decision. And let's, so let's start with this really high level view of the changes we've been tracking in the paper to physical unwind. You know that's been our subject. I hope we haven't got bored with it, but that is it. This 50 year unwind of decades of accrued paper market leverage 
has been our primary fo- primary focus in every single episode of this hundred episodes. And while it's appeared a little like a classic frog boil, uh, where nothing seemed to change, as we've been outlining under the covers, Basel III NSFRs, the net stable funding ratios, changed the game forever. So don't tune out because we said NSFRs. It is simply means that the paper market had to start waking up to back up their positions. And if you if you recall, we've been, <clears throat> as Shane says, we've been, the whole Kinesis team, we've been over, all over this Basel III story after it became clear following, if you remember, the March 2020, when we had this big blow up between the paper and the physical market. It was what we call the EFPs, the Exchange for Physical uh, Connection. It blew up in their faces, in the, in the shorts faces. And it uncovering the fact that liquidity providers making markets in them 10 times larger than the COMEX spot foreign exchange gold markets, which are the key markets, those are the deliverable ones. It turned out they would have to, for the first time in 50 years, begin backing up what they had was placed on offer with physical. I mean, revelation. And cutting a long story short, now we've been tracking this inevitable paper market unwind, as I say, for this last hundred episodes, each step of the way. And and very very early on, it became patently clear that the paper market jig was coming to a close. But it would take until Basel III NSFRs to be fully implemented in order for the paper sham to be forced to compete with an increasingly global physical marketplace. And as we see now, the ring fence COMEX is coming into the crosshairs for loadout, if you remember loadout, meaning not just settlement of paper to paper, loadout meaning somebody's backed up to the warehouse door and said, give it to me, baby. And and really, so really, uh, and then this is, they were loading out their paper positions into physical. Well, I mean, the scramble to fix the March 2020 paper market implosion planted the seeds for Basel III legislation. We picked up on that really early and it had to be enforced on the gold market, even though every other asset class had, you know, had a time uh, to enforce this um, legislation. Now, recall the sudden 80 to $100 per ounce. Think about it, a spread of 80 to $100 difference between the paper and the physical market. We always said, when that happens, the market's broken. It happened. And good God, they tried to gloss over this. And obviously, we, uh, our subscribers, and uh, and all our good friends who are very close to the market knows this was a break. And so when you see those kind of spreads between the cash market and the comics, making, you know, it reached a point where the paper market really broke forever. And while the central banks were, a- were able to put a Band-Aid over this, what is a gaping wound, it had to be permanently fixed. And there was only one way to do it, fix it, to begin the process to force liquidity providers to back up what was offer on offer with physical bullion. So for the granular detail on how this played out, I would honestly suggest just go back to those 2020 and 2021 episodes where we followed this really in detail, in granular detail, and study 
How? Some 70 trillion. And people go, well, how come? Well, when you add derivatives to the 15 trillion a year foreign exchange gold market, it, it is much closer to 70 trillion. And they're interconnected. These are interconnected, unbacked gold derivatives. And what happened? They came close to cascading into bankrupting the taxpayer funded, too big to fail bullion banks who were all at once turned upon for physical delivery of bullion they didn't have, nor could they obtain at paper derived prices. So essentially, this siloed world of the CME and the LBMA, this ring fenced world, actually had been breached for the first time. And, and global physical buyers turned upon the market makers, calling them for physical delivery. But just to sum it up, if the Western central banks had not stepped in to bail out the too big to fail fractional reserve bullion banks who treated bullion as if it was cash in the bank, um, if they hadn't stepped in to bail them out in March 2020, and we were talking about 200 million for Goldman, we were talking hundreds of millions. And in fact, we, talk, we were talking about uh, the second tier bank saying, I don't want any part of this anymore, and bailing. Uh, we had quite a few second tier Swiss banks saying, not making markets in this anymore. We're exiting this space. Uh, we'll just look after our clients. So, I mean, this is a daisy chain of taxpayer insured banks that would have imploded. You just need one to fail, the lot fail. The reason they quickly stepped in is that gold and silver trade as, it's so important, we've covered this before, it's so important, they trade as a foreign exchange currency cross. You know, this is not just a siloed, synthetic, undeliverable futures contract, which can be squared with an opposite synthetic contract. Never, no physical has nothing to do with it. No physical delivery has, would ever take place in that situation. But it had to be understood that like any other currency pair, which would be if you had the dollar against the euro, or the dollar against yen, you know, where one is long one side and short the other, by its only very for its own nature, a foreign exchange pair like that, including gold and silver foreign exchange crosses, they cannot default. And when you've got physical attached to one side, a deliverable physical aside to one side of that cross, which separates gold and silver, I know platinum and palladium, but gold and silver primarily from every single other commodity. And the problem lays in the fact that a spot foreign exchange gold or silver contract is physically deliverable against the resulting dollar price that pops out the other end. Hey, Andy, this is amazing. This is really interesting because you've been talking about this for a long time. And I love that, that we're on our 100th episode. And here we are. You can't get this type of information anywhere else. But is what you're talking about, does it have anything to do with back in 1981 when Nixon closed that gold window? Is that what we're talking about here? Shane, bang on. Yes, exactly. Uh, I mean, so yeah, 50 years ago, and we've talked about this before, uh, following Nixon slamming down, slamming shut this ability to convert um, gold into dollars, dollars into, into gold. Uh, that was in August 1971. That was the convertibility window slammed shut. And the COMEX paper markets were created with the sole purpose of creating sufficient synthetic paper gold supply, really just to enable the cash gold markets to be squared 
with just enough paper gold to keep the spot market being ever called for delivery. It was really, I mean, because basically shutting down that window didn't stop um, other central banks wanting to take the gold because, my God, at that price, of course, it was it was a, a great way to exchange your dollars for something physical. So by swamping the market, and that literally two years after that window, was, the COMEX was formed, and it was formed also later in silver. But so really, there's the situation. Add in a little magic dust, such as creating a positive lease spread to incentivize central banks. Hey, let's take some paper gold. Let's take our physical gold and let's lend it out. Oh, yeah. And then we can do that and we can lend it out in sufficient um, size to meet any real physical demand because we've got leverage against unleveraged. So we can just swamp this price and then, yeah, so what? Well, you know, we, we had Ruben in the, in the uh, in, in, I think in, uh, two, in 1998 coming out and offering eight, 10% spread uh, on bonds. So yeah, why not? Gold is producing nothing. So take all your gold, sell it into the marketplace, just get, get it gone and take the yield, invest it in the stock market. And so what do we have? We have this in this this accru accruing massive paper short position. I guess they thought they could keep it going. No way, Jose. I mean, so really, um, this this so they just produced enough to to really uh, ensure the gold convertibility window remained shut. Basically, however, on March 2020. This gold convertibility window was smashed open. And while it's not been realized yet by the siloed speculative traders confined to the COMEX, anyone with a view into the wholesale markets knows this window is open and is actively being pillaged by competing BRIC central banks primarily, uh, which is precisely the reason the central bank of all central banks, the Bank of International Settlements, yes, uh, Shane, right at the beginning you mentioned them, began to unwind these leases, forcing them to buy them back from the agent banks that they'd laid the, them on the books for. Now, until Basel III NSFR regulations, which came into first force on the 1st of January of this year, every single central bank uh, began to position to revalue their physical reserves higher from the 50% haircut they were getting to a fully cash exchangeable asset. Now, revaluing gold will enable central banks to be able to pay off massive swathes of debt. Now, this is the longer term plan, not just from a cash asset perspective, but also it would behove central banks to be on the long side of gold ahead of this inevitable revaluation. And this is exactly what the BIS footprints just revealed. And this is why it's important that we look at this now, because really, are we wanting to defer this game any longer? Now, given the sheer pace, and I'm not suggesting you go out and borrow money to buy gold, silver, but you stackers out there, really, if you've got any sideline money here between now and the end of the year, I think to me, that would be probably a wise choice. Make up your own minds. But given the sheer pace of the accumulations of competing central bank demand, and please review our last couple of episodes, squaring this exposure 
uh, to the to the uh, bank of settlements had to be done by year end. So because th this was the year that it had to be done by. So it started in 1st of January. Remember, originally it was in, uh, I think, June or July of uh, of 2021. And then the LBMA, they panicked and created a smoke and mirrors hullabaloo. We need time. We need time. And then but regardless, the pressure to for them for the Bank of International Settlements to actually remove these uh, these regulations didn't happen. They were enforced. Now, obviously, as I said, it's a bit like a boiled frog. It's slowly, slowly, slowly been taking effect under the radar. So while it's not being recognized by the spec short sellers, naked shorting gold and silver against a rising dollar with no view into the real world, all the house insiders are long against them, not just in the synthetic markets, but for their own books. And the March 2020 situation was the single historic event that has accelerated the inevitable gold price reset, bringing the gold price revaluation forward to this year, setting the stage for 2023. So with that said, let's look at what has changed. And I think it's no coincidence that we can now circle back to the all important Basel, uh, effect Basel III is having and here's the 100th episode. And is it serendipity? I don't know. But it's time to circle this back now. I mean, why? It's, 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 it's yet unseen, but it will be the impetus for the resident comics frogs to jump out of the pot before year end, leaving the unwitting speculator tadpoles to boil. Now, through the last 100 episodes, our very loyal subscribers and interviewers with our with our pals at Wall Street Silver 18 months ago, for example. I mean, you know, we we were, you will recall that we were aware of we were all over this massive impact Basel three was going to have on the physical gold markets. And while they were trying to shake you out, we were saying, bide your time. It's coming. And, and that is it would probably we said it would probably take a full year after the implementation of NSFRs. Uh, which was obviously the 1st of January, and it would take a full year for the BIS to exit their gold derivative bets. Well, guess what? The BIS commenced this 2020 year with over 500 tonnes of gold swaps and leases. Talk about these residual leases. They were up to seven, 800 tonnes at times, but they started this year with over 500 tonnes. Now, this is derivative exposure to gold that's on their books undeliverable delivery, uh, delivery exposure without buying back these, these um, uh, bets. However, as we've been tr uh, tracking over the course of the last 10 months, their footprints have evidenced their gold desk stealthily calling in decades of accrued paper gold liabilities, all of which have been laid on the balance sheet of, the, of their agent LBMA banks who have privileged to bank, have gold accounts with the Bank of England. Now, proof of our assertion that the commencement of Basel III NSFR standards would be enforced in the spot gold market in January and that it would be the precursor to the BIS readying to revalue gold has now been just been published in the October Bank of International Settlements Gold Swaps Report. And it was no surprise for us to evidence that the gold swaps repurchase mandate has been accelerated 
with the BIS closing the October statement with just a tiny seven tons yet to be called in. Guys, that's nearly 500 tons that have been repurchased and called back in. However, further to this, our first tier contacts, and we told you this was happening before, uh, there was a lot of skepticism about it, and it happened. Now we're saying our first tier contacts are now reporting that these last seven tons were almost certainly squared on the 3rd of November on that dip into the 16, 18, 20 level. Thus, it cleared the way for them to accumulate a very strong, unencumbered, bullion position to bolster up their site accounts. Now, given the footprints ahead of BIS, of uh, given their footprints now, I mean, goodness me, the head, and we've talked about Benoit Gilson before, he's the head of the BIS gold trading desk. Now, he's probably now got a fresh mandate and we see him pop up, he used to 6 a.m. in the morning, suddenly you got a spike down. Well, hey, come on, man, that was Benoit. We used to talk about him many, many times. No doubt in my mind that anyone trading at that time of day uh, had to be him, the Bank of International Settlements. What were they doing? They were discounting gold. They were getting the speculators to take this load so they could buy back these leases. Very clever. I mean, these guys, you can't discount these guys. Of course, they're smart. They know what they're doing. And, so, and, and there's the stupid speculators siloed in the casino who just don't have any vision into that. All they see is a tick, a tick dollar tick and, a, and an inverse correlation and their algos do their work for them. Right now they're in a real hole here. So, so his probably mandate is now to, to, to compete along a coordinated global move to bolster bullion reserves ahead of this inevitable gold price revaluation. And this scramble to ditch gold leases has not been an easy feat to achieve into a tight physical market. So it required a full on effort to trick in these blinkered speculators to take the load. However, the officially orchestrated PSYOPs operation that we talked about multiple times that commenced in the March of this year to halt gold rising into the Russia-Ukraine geopolitical event became a double-edged sword for the BIS. Hey, Andrew, can you expand on that a little bit? You just talked about the double-edged sword. Can you just talk to our audience about what that means? Yeah, 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 great idea. Let's, let's, let's break it down a bit. On one side, uh, the extremely counterintuitive wall of officially sanctioned paper gold supply into an otherwise safe haven gold buying event. Let's face it, you've got war. What do you think? Gold doesn't rise in a case of war? Of course it does. It was capped and counterintuitively reversed in this PSYOP operation. And, um, and, and really, so we had where the March gold and silver were just about to break out above 2000 in gold, uh, $26 in silver, really having broken through a lot of resistances. While on the other side, by grossly discounting paper gold into a strong unleveraged physical market, what it did was trigger the exchange for physical mechanism, which we've talked about many, many times as the Achilles heel of the COMEX, allowing the conversion of leveraged COMEX positions to be physically delivered into freshly compliant Basel III, physically backed NSFR spot gold over the counter positions. In other words, on the other side of that trade, any liquidity provider had to have physical. So it suddenly became the Achilles heel. And since Basel III net stain rule funding ratios were implemented in January, 
This 50-year paper-to-paper EFP squaring mechanism has become, as I say, this is the Achilles heel, offering up the ability for global central banks and insiders and anyone well-connected and you stackers too to easily convert paper gold, paper currencies and, and, and silver, of course, into physical, just like we all have been doing for this last hundred episodes. You know what? Even if you look at a short-term chart, you you know, you're looking at a 10-minute chart, I mean, of course you're going to get volatility, but by aggregating, by by not being shaken out, you're going to win. And you just really, now what we're saying is you ought to be doing what the central banks are doing. And that's what we're trying to draw attention to. Don't be shaken out. Uh, I mean, look again today, you see you see news coming through, the dollar having to pop up. You see the, the speculators, it's the speculators that are providing the cover for these central banks to continue to buy back their, and not just buy back, to get long. The race into physical has accelerated the drain of paper market liquidity into the physical markets. It's that simple. We talked about it multiple times. And it leaves the tricked-in COMEX speculators increasingly holding a large, undeliverable, naked short paper gold position. Silver too, but less so with silver. So much so that while these lower layers of these double-down short bets get rinsed, got rinsed last week, this week, They've not yet reacted to the bullish change of behavior, still evidencing the uh, exchange. You could look at the, the ETF outflows. They haven't, silver, they haven't worked out. They're still selling their ETF positions. I mean, unbelievable. This is such a bullish setup. I, I just, it just had to be, it had to be brought to you now. And as we reaffirmed in our last episodes, the last 10 months of synthetic selling since the official interventions drove cheap gold into the hand of global central banks who've aggressively been uh, accruing physical gold into this wall of paper supply. What is it? It's the ultimate form of alchemy. We've talked about it so many times. It's in our power, it's in our hands. You take some, take some fiat out of your pocket and convert it into physical. What have you got? You've just alchemized paper into physical. And the synthetic overshoot of the physical support levels, really, that we're talking about because of this synthetic supply, has caused, and we talked about this with uh, Dave Kranzler before, and we'll probably talk about it with him again, it caused a 2008-like paper-to-physical disconnect the likes of which have not been since seen since the trigger point for a three-year $1,240 gold rally um, from 680 bucks. I mean, that is the structure. We were screaming about it last time. This is, this is craziness. You know, we can't, you can't possibly have this kind of disconnect when there's a Basel III compliance side to this market. So obviously joined at the hip, um, leverage silver shorts are even more vulnerable into a gold price reset. But as we assessed in our last episode, having dislocated the price too far, the COMEX is coming into the crosshairs for physical delivery, which will, remember we talked about this, we, we know, and I'm not saying we personally are, 
Uh, we may or may not be, because we're not going to talk about that in, in particular detail, but we definitely know that our Swiss counterparts and our European counterparts are attacking the COMEX for silver supply right now. They are coming in there and paying the 12, 18 cents it costs to fly this thing, not even shipping it, flying it out to meet demand right away. Yeah, there's a bit more friction when you move it out of the vault, but we're talking about we're talking about a valuation here of silver without any doubt by year end, we're looking at somewhere around the 27, 28, 30, without, I mean, without any, without any discussion, nobody is viewing silver at current prices. This is not a fair real price. So, so it's, it's what, what is the COMEX? So this COMEX has come into the crosshairs now. This is not what it was designed for. It was never designed to be to be attacked for physical. And um, so what it will probably cause, that because there's not enough registered uh, silver in the uh, registered uh, silver to be delivered, it's probably going to force market makers holding eligible silver, something they do not want to do. This is not for sale to convert these otherwise undeliverable bullion holdings into the registered category. Either that or, or allow a pr the price to rise, but only at the point that they can't trick any more specs to take the load. And this is going to cause a massive big silver short squeeze. Structurally, again, very similar to what we witnessed in 2008 when silver was priced at just eight and a half bucks. Now, well, we've been tracking the insider efforts uh, to cover if you remember, there was a big SLV ETF, the ETF. They were being, you remember there was this huge short position and they're, they're trying to cover this. Uh, and really it was really being hampered by these very large um, dem crosshair demands, EFP demands, sucking out registered silver to address vapor thin global physical supply shortages. Go figure, the insider run HFT Alvos, Algos have been targeting every ounce of silver they can from naked short specs, which like gold has driven the largest physical to paper disconnect since this 2008 uh, situation. And, and talking about silver, it was at eight, eight, eight and a half bucks at that point. And then it rose for like at the same period as gold for three years, and there was a, over a $40 short squeeze into the 1st of May, 2011. All right, Andy, it seems that we're living in historic times, especially on this 100th episode here of Life in the Vault. It's kind of uh, coincidental, not only in gold, but also in silver, as we can see here. Uh, what would you recommend uh, moving forward? Let's call it in the short term uh, in both markets. What are you recommending? Right, well, I I'm thinking, you know, again, this is all about education. So really, um, I mean, we've covered who's holding the short load. We've covered the, what the central banks are doing going long. We've covered the insiders who are related to them going long and who's holding the shorts. I mean, and we've talked about it, you know, many times, but I think it, it, the, the people are saying, but I think one of the things people are asking for is, yeah, but, 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 but where's the data? And, you know, so can we really, I mean, we look at this data because yes, you see stuff because you're in the wholesale market, you weigh up the differences, but sometimes the data is deliberately opaque. Um, but it, the data, BIS data that we've just seen confirms the house insiders who clearly had 
BIS guarantees, secret BIS guarantees, backing up their uh, net stable funding ratio exposure. Um, so obviously they needed to bridge the period uh, to uh, unwind these, this, these leases. Um, that they've not just repatriated these BIS leases, removing these decades uh, of central bank back short sell liquidity, but these agent banks who are privileged to have gold accounts in the Bank of England have been loading up long gold and related silver for their own accounts into the tricked in chart, charts painted specs. So this also confirms it has been the specs who've been set up and used as patsies into this HFT rigged HFT, mean just meaning the controlling algorithm uh, that's orchestrated 10 months, this 10 month unwind process, leaving the speculators holding the bag, but also pushing price to the point it put the COMEX machine into the crosshairs for delivery of undeliverable spec held native short positions. Yeah, but on the other side of that trade, there's a, there's a market maker who is either gonna try and cover that in the, in, pay, in the paper market, but is actually being attacked in the back door. And we detailed how European, Asian, Indian wholesalers needing silver, uh, because you mentioned silver, has turned on the COMEX to buy and take delivery of COMEX silver at an insignificant cost to fly it out and to meet pent up demand. Why is, I mean, so, I mean, cannot believe it blows my mind that an intelligent hedge fund manager who is literally allowing these algos to be led by the nose is actually naked shorting physical gold and silver essentially can related to a physical product they're naked shorting it against the dollar go figure and so really but we've we've had a lot of subscriber questions rightly questioning how specs can be wrong-footed if the price has dipped since March 2000 and 20, in gold and 26 levels, it's because these specs have used short profits to double down on these short positions, one-to-one, -one, taking the short side of an increasingly long, of the increasing long market makers. Now, as we approach December options, which is coming up on November the 22nd, I mean, we've got Thanksgiving on the 24th, so we're talking an early one here. Uh, it has resulted in a massive accrued <clears throat> underwater short bet against the house. And again, this rhymes again, not seen since October 2008. And while on paper they have profits, yeah, these speculators look like they're really doing well here because they've been short an awful long way. But the fact that they kept using those profits to double down on those bets has really created a leverage condition that won't be extinguished until the March levels are gap closed back to those levels again. And we're talking about 26 silver, 2000 gold. And therein lays the problem. The trouble with these double down bets using profits to expand these bets is that these specs are potentially exposed to unlimited losses, far greater than their investments. And this is not just a, you know, this is not just a, a, a you know, a neutral bet where you've, what, what you've bet is all you can lose. No, this is not just evidence by the very patently obvious bets against the house. And we know 
goodness me, that presents a 95% odds they're going to lose anyway. Um, but far worse, we've got evidence these same tricked-in speculators have been lured into placing naked short bets against an options call structure. Don't tune out. Call The option call structure is just simply a big bet uh, that you've placed. But you're not limited to just what you bet. You're limited to unlimited losses. And they've been doing this for the last 10 months, which ex exponentially expands leverage. There's no back door. In a central bank gold price reset, under a, and, and, and this is where we've covered this before, please understand, under a special CME rule that blocks COMEX trading, uh, while the 10 times larger Basel III compliant and none, I mean, obviously, compliant gold. I mean, silver is not NSFR compliant, but but it actually blocks trading in the over-the-counter foreign exchange markets, which are 10 times larger. And obviously, if this... So in other words, the FX markets are not frozen, but the, the, um, but the, the, the COMEX markets, what I'm trying to say is um, that there's, you can actually instigate a series of five-minute trading halts in the COMEX futures markets into a disruptive move. Hey, it always seems to be, uh, it never seems to happen on the way up, but it can, uh, sorry, on the way down, but it would certainly will happen on the way up. And then you've got a three minute um, halt in the options markets. Look it up yourselves. But I mean, anyone who is short here uh, is gonna end up trying to cover into a bid only market while it's frozen. And guess what? <laughs> the market makers and uh, the central banks are all busy trading liquidly in the, um, in the foreign exchange markets while they're frozen, hung out to dry. And, and I can't believe it that, that, you know, really, I can't believe that people aren't aware of the product they're trading. And also, I mean, the risk reward there is, is, is the tail risk is enormous. And also from an options perspective, this is a structurally bullish parallel. Again, looking at these confluences, not evident since October 2008, ahead of a similar physically, physically driven short squeeze. And furthermore, this is it, it, when we look at the January options structure, which goes into expiry on December the 27th, it indicates that it's going to uncover extremely large spec bets against the house somewhere between 2000 and 2400. Hey, who's going to profit when they get rinsed? And in summary, so really very short term, the consolidative action in both, GC, in, in both gold futures and silver futures and gold and silver has been constructive, evidencing some decent backfilling. I like to see that. You don't want to leave big gaps where, where you can literally on a, on a news beat or the dollar rally, you can start triggering ignition on a bunch of longs, uh, of long positions which are actually naked long uh, in, this, in the market, um, well, obviously you can trigger them if you leave a big gap. So it's nice to see these little backfills, they're closing these gaps so that there's very little sales ignition, so you can absorb a, a bit of a sell-off. And, and I think this is important. And as we summed up last time, 
Rigging price, prices below equitable supply demand fundamentals, really, it just further tightens up what little real bullion is offered at market. And it immediately recognised by the wholesale market participants who competitively jump in to lock cheap spot index ounces and tons at heavily and unsustainable, um, heavily discounted and unsustainable foreign exchange gold prices. So really, to answer the question, it is this equation that determines the price support points. So what we have now is a hell of a lot of fiat chasing what little bullion is on offer, which further tightens supply. And the offer to sell bullion will rise in to, to meet this demand. Now, given the enormous paper market leverage, this is having a lagging effect on the price, but ultimately fundamentals will drive the chart painted technicals higher. So again, the only question left to answer, and I can guess what our subscribers are answering, just how much physical gold do you guys own? Look at what the big banks are doing. Look what the central bank of central banks is doing. Look at what the agent insiders are doing. I think by the time we do our 200th episode, we'll have not just preserved our assets, but we'll be sitting on some real wealth here. Awesome. Thank you, Andrew McGuire, on that 100th episode of Life in the Vault and Talking Gold. And remember to our whole Life in the Vault community, buy physical, buy physical, buy physical. Make sure it's one-to-one -one and understand the difference between what Andy affectionately calls the casino paper gold and silver markets and the actual physical gold and silver markets. They're not the same. Don't be fooled out there. So there you have it. That's all we have for you today on another fascinating 100th episode of Live from the Vault. Please help spread the word about this awesome channel by hitting that like button, sharing, subscribing. And if you want to be notified as each episode goes live, just hit the bell right there and we'll do just that. So with that, we'll see you next time right here on Live from the Vault. See you then.